We got this man, Ton, on our show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 39 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have Ben Sherman. Oh, from Bayou City. Bayou City? <laughs> That's Houston's nickname. If we had a Ruby conference, it would be Bayou City Ruby. And no one would know where it was. Yeah, that's true. We'd all be in Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> Why y'all in New Orleans? <laughs> that would be Dirty South. <laughs> hey, at least you can go get a good po' boy. Anyway, no, uh, no offense to my New Orleans listeners. <laughs> we also have Pete Hodgson. Good morning from San Francisco. I don't know what our nickname is. I should look that up. Golden Gate City, is that it? Gotta was, be something. I was tempted to go for Rainbow City, but um <laughs> Oh, we're batting two for two this morning. <laughs> All right. Andrew Madsen. Hi from Salt Lake City. James Uber. Hello from the Twin Cities. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that is Manton Reese. Hello from Austin, Texas. Good to be here. Hey, I managed to say that right. Do you want right. to introduce yourself for those of us who are uh, who don't know who you are? Sure. My name is Manton Reese, and I uh, work for a company called Vital Source doing ebook software with Mac, iOS development, web development, and I have a little side business called Riverfold Software where I have a number of iOS and Mac apps and web apps. Cool. So we brought you on today to talk about subscription APIs and recurring revenue. Is that a thing for iOS? That's a thing for iOS. Depends who you ask what kind of answer you're going to get about the right way to do that or whether you should do it. But it's a thing. Yeah, I would say. I thought the thing was to write Angry Birds and make millions of dollars. That's one way to do it. You know, the problem with the App Store, the great thing in the problem is that you do have these huge hits that make, you know, way too much money. But then most of us aren't that lucky. And even the ones that are lucky, you have a big hit, you sell a bunch of copies, you quit your job, you say, this is great, I'm you know, going to do really well. Eventually, your app's going to fall out of the top 10 and the top 100 and sales are going to drop off. And so you have to do it all over again and get a big launch. And so with subscriptions, the hope is you get a little more recurring revenue, uh, a little more consistent revenue over you know, the course of a year instead of just like one big spike at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So how do the subscriptions work? Can you actually like sell an app as a subscription? You can. There's two types of, there's a bunch of different ways to do it. But like in terms of in the app store with in-app purchase, there's two ways. There's the a subscription that doesn't actually renew where the user subscribes to a certain number of months of your product or your service. And then they have to do it again if they want to. And then there's also uh, what are called auto renewable subscriptions where they subscribe. And this is what people are used to, like Netflix or something like that, where Dropbox, where you subscribe and you get billed every month or every year until you cancel. And so you can do both of those with the App Store, and we can go into that. You can also, of course, take money outside the App Store if you're careful and you do it in a way that Apple doesn't mind. I didn't even know you could do that at all. I thought you were, you had to go through the App Store for any money, basically. You really have to like tiptoe around the guidelines. Like You can't have any kind of directing people to your website type of functionality. Like GitHub had a uh, an issue with their app, which was free. And somewhere in there, there was a link to go to github.com. And on github.com, if you're not logged in, it prompts you to create an account and pay them money. Yeah, that, that's right. You, you just have to be careful about how you do it. And you can't link to, like in your app, you kind of almost want to avoid linking to your website at all. And if you do, it definitely needs to be like a portion that never links to a way to subscribe and put a credit card in. So if Apple is testing your app and they ever see like put your credit card in here to subscribe, they'll immediately reject you, right? They want their 30% cut of the in-app purchase 
they don't want to allow you to get around that at all. So if you're careful, you can do it, though. If you have someone subscribe outside your app, you can certainly have them log in to your app um, and it would, you know, check in with your server and see, is this person actually subscribed? That's fine. You, you still have to be kind of careful how you do it, but Apple does allow that. Okay, so it's kind of like you're allowed to have someone subscribe and then only allow portions of the app if they've subscribed, but you're not allowed to actually ask them to subscribe or direct them towards revenue that won't go through Apple's 30%. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. I, uh-huh. I can totally see, though, where GitHub would not really think about this, because I think most people use it at the free level. They put open source software out. And so, like, having something that directs you to their website is just another way to get in. But, yeah. but the fact that you can actually pay for a subscription level to GitHub is where they have a problem. Yeah, I'm sure they weren't planning on uh, trying to, you know, sign up a bunch more paying customers through their right. issues app. Right, yeah, and... I mean, when you think about it from the other angle of like, I have a paid service on the internet and I also want a companion iPhone app for my members. That's perfectly fine. Like HBO Go is an example of that. You don't pay that through the app store, right? You have to have an HBO subscription elsewhere to be able to use that. And there's other things like that. I think Netflix is similar, right? You can't pay through in-app purchases to get Netflix. You have to be a member before even downloading the app. So if you follow along those lines and you also you know, happen to have some free content for you know people to try out your service, I don't know. You still have to toe the line of like, don't ask people to sign up ever. You just say, oh, you need an account for that and maybe nothing more. Yeah, it's a very fluid definition of what's allowed, what's not allowed. So it helps to have people on the inside of Apple looking at things and saying, this will work. This won't work if you have that kind of contact info. And from Apple's perspective, it's like they're bringing you customers. You know, for NS Screencast, I've been (laughs) for a really long time now trying to work in in in-app subscriptions into an app that I'm building. And as soon as I got that sort of working, they changed the whole model. However, the way I view it is I could take the easy way out and just have an app that lets you sign in with your existing credentials. But if there are people who are going to legitimately find it through the App Store and subscribe in the App Store, like I'll totally give Apple 30% of that. And I think that's, you know, you just got to think of it as a new revenue channel, a new way to get customers. Yeah, and I don't, it's not necessarily unfair. I mean, I think you're right. Apple deserves a cut if they are allowing users to discover your app. So that's totally fine. I don't have a problem with that. I think there also is a trade-off just sometimes uh, lately I've been feeling like, do you really want to support every possible way for a user to subscribe? And the way I'm kind of going, and you know, every app is different, of course, is to try to focus on one way. Because, I don't know, one of my apps started with PayPal subscriptions, and then I added in-app purchase subscriptions, and then I added credit card you know, subscriptions. And at some point, it becomes a lot to manage just the different ways. So users signed in, they could be paid in a few different ways. And how do you want to do things like maybe if they change the plan they're subscribed to or they cancel? There has to be completely different code to handle all of those cases. So just depends on the app. It sounds almost though like you're recommending just pick one way and, and go with it. Yeah, and again, it depends on the app, so I can't say which that way, which way that is. If I was doing everything over again, I would probably not use in-app purchase, at least the way I'm using it right now, because one of my apps is predominantly as a web service, as a web app. That's the core part of it, and so that's kind of the native place that you should subscribe, um, not unlike you know Netflix or whatever, although it's not video, but you know, the same idea. But for other apps, maybe the whole experience is inside your iPhone app, and so it just makes sense to use in-app purchase, have the user subscribe, and have everything nice and just clean inside the app. 
we can't discount the ease of you're just one password away from like getting money from somebody. <laughs> Whereas if, you know, the credit card form, I mean, I use one password, so I've got easy access to credit card numbers, but I should say my own, not other people's. <laughs> or it's, you know, otherwise you have to pull out your wallet and you have to type in the numbers one by one. So I, I don't know. I still think that there's some ease in, uh, you know, in-app purchases for users. I guess a big differentiate or a big decision factor would be whether you're just an iOS only app or if you've got multiple channels, right? So if you've got an Android, an Android app and an iPhone app, then, you know, or an Android and iPhone and web, then obviously in-app purchases is only going to help with one of those. Exactly what you said. And, you know, and even on iOS, you have kind of this choice I mentioned at the beginning. Do you have people have to resubscribe, you know, to your service or can you automatically rebuild them? And the way Apple handles that is a little bit weird, but it is possible to depending on your app to take advantage of that. And they, uh, I don't know, Ben, if you've finished going through that process or not, I'd be curious to hear how it went. But I know a lot of people, they go through and they get rejected. And Apple says, no, you know, you should be a magazine if you want to do this. You should be a newspaper. But if you look at the App Store guidelines, they do allow you to do this auto recurring billing for apps like business apps, for any cloud storage type apps, media apps. So Netflix, I'm sorry, Dropbox, for example, uses this. There's a bunch of other apps that use it. And I generally think you kind of have to go through this process with Apple, kind of get rejected and kind of appeal it and kind of say, no, this is allowed. But if you do get approved, it's kind of an interesting API because you have the user subscribe, they enter the credit card. And like I said, they get billed every month automatically. They get a little email from Apple that says you're about to be, you know, uh, billed again for this subscription to such and such an app. Uh, and Apple just kind of handles it. I guess... Maybe this is a question for someone inside of Apple rather than you, but I guess I can't see what category of apps wouldn't count for that because it sounds like it's kind of pretty much anything. I mean, yes, you know, they, they say you should be a magazine or a newspaper, but you're saying there's all these other apps that could kind of get into that category. What's an example of something that wouldn't fit in that? I think uh, I would say actually most apps probably don't fit the way Apple kind of phrases it. And I think I think their default is to say, you shouldn't do this. I, I really do think they discourage it because it's kind of powerful. I mean, you don't want someone... We always hear about people accidentally buying things or they give their phone, their iPad to their kids and they accidentally spend all this money and, you know, <laughs> Smurf berries or whatever. To get automatically billed again is even more powerful. And I think they don't want people to abuse it. So there's these kind of specific cases when you have an app that isn't just... I don't know, a utility app or some kind of productivity app that just does kind of one thing and is kind of standalone where the app connects to some kind of cloud service or API or, or something that is kind of bigger than just the app. I think that's where subscriptions start to feel kind of right. And it's users, I mean, users don't value apps like they used to, you know, 99 cents free. Everyone wants everything for super cheap. But the weird thing is that users still, even with that mindset, they kind of value services and web apps and they kind of it's almost like those are have a different set of rules applied to them where you can charge every month for those kind of things where it's very difficult to charge for a small iphone app uh every month people just that just won't fly yeah i think the line that uh, apple draws is if you're selling a service and you want to keep selling the service like a good example is um for flight it's a ios app for pilots and it does stuff like the pre-flight check and the maps and weather and stations and all this other stuff but it's also really expensive i think it's like 150 a year uh, but they would not be able to do auto renewable subscriptions because they're just delivering a service like a continued service if you are delivering content regularly like periodicals then i believe you're in the green there so that's why i've been pursuing that approach for ns screencast 
because uh, since I'm always delivering content, I think I'm in the right there. And if I got rejected, I would certainly like appeal to the rules because it seems like I would fit in there. But yeah, I think the majority of apps that they just have a service, they would have to do non-renewable subscriptions like Dropbox or whatever. Yeah, and there's definitely a line in the guidelines about like audio and video streaming types of apps. Those definitely seem allowed. I mean, you again, you may have to go through Apple you know, review a couple of times, but that seems like a pretty clear case of something that should be allowed. So what are the different ways that you can uh, do a subscription? I mean, you, you were talking about like in-app purchase, you were talking about some of the other options. What are all of the different options? So for in-app purchase, there's two subscription types and you go into iTunes Connect and you can define these. And, and one is just they call it non-renewing subscriptions, I think. Uh, and it's just where you subscribe to something, but then you you have to prompt the user again, like next month or in three months to subscribe again. Those, those are kind of just like a normal in-app purchase where you're buying, you know, credits in a game or, or whatever. It's it's not that much different. And then that, if you've ever done an app purchase before, it should be almost exactly the same where you, the API is really simple. StoreKit, it has kind of a classic, you know, objective C API where you have a delegate and you say, you know, give me, give me the products that are defined and, uh, you know, make a payment object, submit it into the payment queue and that'll prompt the user to subscribe. And if everything goes right, you'll get callbacks and say, you know, this person subscribed or this, or this transaction finished, whatever the events are. And that's fairly straightforward. The auto renewing subscription is the, is the other type where we've been talking about whether you can get approved or not not approved. And the API is pretty similar as well. It's just a different type uh, in iTunes Connect. So and, um, there's a difference in like the information that's available, right, in between the two. And part of, I know that there's uh, a lot of changes with iOS 7 as well. So I don't know if, if you have any experience with like the new StoreKit APIs. Like for instance, like uh, I think it's SK Payment Receipt is deprecated. Right. I've used the new APIs a little bit. So when you get one of these transactions goes through, you get this receipt data. And traditionally, the best way, especially with subscription services, that you send that data to your server and then you can call back to Apple servers and verify that it's actually right so that no one can, you know, spoof it or, you know, or whatever, try to get around your app's uh, subscription. So that's traditionally how it's worked. With iOS 7, there are new APIs where you don't have to do that. You can actually verify on the client. I haven't done the new stuff with subscriptions. My feeling is that you still probably want to go through your server, especially if you have any of this kind of stuff we're talking about where there is kind of some sort of server component. Yeah, you, you got to still... record that transaction on your server anyway, because you exactly. got to be able to like authorize the content and give them some sort of like a token or something so that they can retrieve it later. Exactly. I haven't done too much with iOS 7, except just basic in-app purchase, not subscriptions on the client. But it seems like for especially for like auto renewing subscriptions, it seems like things haven't changed that much from what I can tell. You still want to send it to the server. You still want to do the verification on the server and check in to see, is this user still subscribed? I just looked up the docs to that. Uh, so SK payment transaction is what you get your callback on your payment observer, I think. And it has a transaction receipt that is now deprecated. And that used to be what you would send to the server. Do you know what you need to send to the server nowadays to authorize with Apple on server side? Oh, okay. That's actually, <laughs> I haven't looked at that. That's news to me. Um, because it used to be like an opaque data structure. And I think yes. now uh, there's uh, some 
you know, cryptographically signed data that you can unpack yourself and read all the data locally. And because of the, the you know, I'm not a security guy. <laughs> it's it's like encoded in an ASN1 format. So it's kind of like a key value structure. And, and so you can use libraries to read those keys and values. And then the whole thing is uh, encrypted with like PKF something. So there's tutorials on how to unpack all this stuff. But, you know, like you said, I want to do all the stuff on the server. I don't really want to do it on the client because it doesn't provide me much value to do it on the client. As soon as I determine that, yes, you're unlocked, I'm going to make a request for a protected content and I can't just trust the client at that point. I have to actually have done the same thing on the server. So I am curious to know like how this stuff changes in iOS 7. Looks like I'm going to have to go watch that that WWDC video for like fourth time. <laughs> right. Yeah, I should have reviewed the new stuff. Now, I didn't realize that much had changed, but that's interesting. Yeah. One, one thing that I'm curious about, if you send this receipt down to your server, is there a way to verify that, or do you just trust it because it came from the phone? No, you definitely can verify it. There's API call you can make back to Apple server from your server, to, and you send, like Ben was saying, there's, it, traditionally it's been this just opaque data. You send the receipt, and then you get back more information uh, about the transaction, which presumably you can trust, and you get like the latest receipt the user has renewed and just different information about the purchase. So the basic kind of sequence is your phone kind of talks to Apple and, and does all of the actual buying stuff. And then your phone sends this used to be opaque, now not opaque token up to your server. And then your server dials home to Apple and says, hey, this person on the other end using his phone just says they bought something. Did they really buy something? And Apple comes back to your server and says, yep. Is that basically the, the yeah, sequence? That's, yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. And one thing they stressed on in the, uh, in the WWDC session is, and this is kind of the most developer hostile stance to take, I think. Uh, hostile is probably not the right word, maybe unfriendly. So that since they're using all these open standards for cryptographically signing the content so that you can verify on the device, uh, they don't provide you any libraries whatsoever to unpack it. And they're like, just Google search and you'll find thousands of resources. And I don't know, like reading cryptographic library like documentation is like scratching my eyeballs. It just <laughs> it doesn't sound like fun. And so then, you know, you look for tutorials out there. The whole point of like not providing you with libraries so that somebody can't just like a jailbreaker can't just find the exact like injection vector to compromise that entire subsystem. So if they're like looking for a symbol like in your running app that they could hijack and do their own code instead and just return true right or return a fake receipt they don't want that ability so by using any kind of like common component it's sort of provided if everybody were to like get on the same boat and use the same exact classes for validating these receipts on the device then it would sort of negate that whole security i think you really only have to worry about that for like compromised phones but still it's not very friendly to somebody who's not super familiar with all this you know the act of like transforming byte arrays into something that eventually turns into like a dictionary right uh, through cryptographic no methods. Yeah. I've never had a fun time decrypting data. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I understand the motives, like, but uh, it is not friendly to the developer. I'll just say that. I guess so. What eventually, you know, being the open source hippie that I am, eventually I would hope that some good quality open source library will fill that niche and then we'll be uh, in the same place anyway, right? Right, yeah, therein lies the problem that, like, oh, this works and I don't understand it, but it's on GitHub. <laughs> so I'm just going to bundle it into my application and maybe it does work, but now if everybody's using the same library, that becomes a juicy target for jailbreakers. Yeah. 
Yep. It's important also for developers to, you shouldn't get scared off from doing this. There are kind of several layers to this, and it sounds like your eyes can glaze over, like, oh my gosh, all this encryption, all this verification. But you can start really simply, like just doing the initial store kit stuff and doing a request and getting your app to prompt for a in-app purchase is hardly any lines of code, right? You can do that basic stuff and then start layering in the back end and receive a verification and all that kind of stuff after. You don't have to sort of tackle everything at once. So have you done much with different subscription levels? So you have like your basic and then your I'm super awesome and then I'm really super awesome levels or whatever? So at first on the iOS side, I was worried about this whole, are they going to approve me to do the auto renewing subscriptions? And so I had two plans. I had like, I'll get to answer your question, but I, I had two plans, but they were like monthly and yearly, not like monthly basic and monthly super awesome pro or whatever. And so you can certainly define those. I then switched to renewing subscriptions, auto renewing, and I just had one sort of basic monthly plan. But on the back end, when I'm accepting regular credit cards, I now do have several plans uh, for some of my products. I haven't rolled that back into in-app purchase yet. And part of that is just because you have so little control over how this stuff works. You know, like you can't, user has to cancel, you can't like initiate, you can't cancel for them and switch plans. It's just very difficult to manage how that stuff works. Whereas if I'm accepting credit cards myself, I can have multiple plans and at any time during the month, I can switch them to a different plan if they want to pay for the premium features. And it's just a lot easier to manage. I haven't quite figured out the right way to do that with in-app purchase without it just being a complete hassle for the user. Yeah, I was wondering about changing plans. I think right now you just have to tell them to cancel and then subscribe at another if, yeah, level. Yeah, if you, get, if tell, you cancel, tell they'll the handle the per or, Right. Yes, tell the user. And it's very clunky. I mean, you can go into iTunes and cancel. Uh, it's just very buried the way they handle subscriptions. Like I said, the user will get this email once a month that says, like, you've got these two subscriptions that are going to renew soon. And in that email somewhere, there's a link to manage the subscriptions. But it's very outside the app's control. The app cannot guide the user, walk the user through this process. So you show them screenshots and say, we're sorry, this really sucks? (laughs) Does does anyone know why Apple might do something like that? I mean, it seems like it's really at odds with the usual focus on the user because it really encourages people to sign up for subscriptions that never get canceled even when they're not using them, which is great for a developer selling subscription, but not so good for the user. I just wonder if there's any justification or if it's just them being lazy. It's a great question. I think part of it may be that a lot of this is kind of an afterthought and it started with you know things like newsstand or magazines, which are a little more focused, kind of narrow use case. A lot of it may just be, you know, the app store is a little bit clunky to begin with just because of the history of, you know, used to sell music and now we sell apps. And, you know, just the growth and the way they've evolved the app stores is not super smooth. So I don't know if there's a grand vision or if it's just kind of this is an afterthought and it's not fully baked in some areas. I suspect that anything that involves a server-side component is painful for Apple to add features to. Like you were saying, like originally it was supposed to be for selling music and then they kind of duct taped on this kind of like selling apps thing and then they're like, oh, subscriptions too. And it seems like they have some challenges there on the server side. It also kind of feels like, I think we talked about this earlier, but they don't really want to do this maybe. Like Apple don't really want to do the subscription thing, but they have to do some element of it because otherwise, you know, they're just not going to have some of the, you know, Netflix aren't going to, or whoever, not Netflix, I guess, but a certain portion of apps are going to just go off and do things web only or something like that. So they want to do enough to let these people do it, but they don't want to put too much effort into it because they don't really fundamentally want to allow subscriptions. I don't know. I'm kind of turning into a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> <laughs> 
So one question I have going back a little bit to that line where, you know, you send people back to the website to subscribe. If you just do the subscriptions through your website, it sounds like you're saying you can't tell people to go back to your website to get a subscription. So what do you do? Just prompt them for a username and password and hope they're smart enough to figure out to go to whatever the app's name is dot com. Yep. Pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like we were saying earlier, it's very clunky if the user is discovering your app through the app store. It's not too bad if they read an article online about your app and then they go directly to your website and they decide they want it and they sign up and then they download the app. That works okay. But it's when they find your app in the app store, that's where it gets a little weird. And I think, I know in my case, and this is probably fairly common, you'll probably have a lot of downloads from people who have never heard of your app before. And then they give up um, when it comes to, you know, I have downloads where people don't end up subscribing. And um, yeah, I think that's okay. But that's just part of the process of if they're checking out the app, they've found it for the first time, but maybe it's a little bit too clunky to go through the whole sign up. Yes, the verbiage is pretty important. I just last year, I finished up a project with a company that does subscription, and they've got, you know, hundreds of 1000s of users. One thing that they did do, you can't have a link to subscribe. But one thing that did pass was like, redeem this code, you know, click here to redeem a code, which kind of is a way of sending you to the website. There's ways you can do it, but it's yeah, not I mean, clear. If it, feels, if it feels like you're being shady, then <laughs> it's probably against the rules in some way. And you may not get caught, but I don't know. I feel really uneasy about basing a business decision on which I'm going to hopefully be making money on hoping Apple doesn't catch some workaround I'm putting in. So I don't know. I'd rather just try to play by the rules and, you know, hopefully Apple will, you know, not give me grief or submitting an app that uses auto-renewables without being a magazine. But yeah, and we've had to advise our clients the same thing. Another thing people have tried to do is say, oh, well, we'll just charge 30% more for for the uh, in-app purchase. And uh, you can't do that either because Apple will go check the pricing of a subscription on your website uh, and they have to be exactly the same or like within a penny or whatever, uh, whatever the price tier more closely matches your uh, subscription level. Yeah, I agree. You want to play by the rules where you can. And there are some funny rules with subscriptions where, for example, at one point I was rejected because my app store description didn't spell this stuff out. And they really want you to. uh, And again, I think they're trying to protect the user, just trying to do the right thing so apps don't abuse this. But they want you to spell it out in the app store description. This, you know, right at the top, like this uses subscriptions. You know, the length of the subscription is such and such. This is the price. Here's the privacy policy. You have to have a little more than you might have for a normal app. A couple other things that uh, come to mind just while we're on the topic of payments. There are some apps that allow you to like enter in a credit card from the phone. One comes to mind is Uber. Uh, and they were the first ones that I'm aware of that you'd take a picture of your credit card and it would OCR the numbers so you didn't have to type them in. And as far as I know, the guidelines around that is that you're buying a physical good. Uh, you can completely bypass their in-app purchase stuff, but if you're buying a service or a subscription, you have to use in-app purchases. Does that sound correct to you? That sounds correct, because you definitely are not supposed to use in-app purchase for physical goods. And so I wouldn't be surprised if you wouldn't get approved immediately for something like that. But yeah, that should be allowed, because there is no way to do in-app purchase for that type of product. Or at least Apple, that's not the design of in-app purchase. And they, it's not designed for physical goods. It's not designed for buying something on Amazon and having it shipped to you. Mm-hmm. You mentioned just, you know, for your own apps, you've been uh, leaning towards just going subscription only on the web. Are you still using Stripe for those? I am. I'm a huge, huge fan of Stripe. Like I said, I think at the beginning, I started with some PayPal stuff, but there's all sorts of problems uh, with how PayPal deals with subscriptions. They'll sometimes kind of randomly suspend account. It's very difficult to manage and get data out of their system. Stripe is 
excellent. Like the docs, the API, it's one of the best web services I've ever used. I'm a huge fan of it. And definitely, if I could only pick one way to do things, I would pick Stripe for sure. Yeah, yeah Stripe's easy. That. Stripe's a lot easy. I have a merchant account too, and they're kind of a pain to get. So I've never heard anyone say anything bad about Stripe, ever. Did I tell you how they sent me a t-shirt? I think I've told that story before. Tell it again. Okay, I'll tell it again. <laughs> so I had a very naive algorithm for fetching invoices from Stripe. This was before I had implemented their webhooks support. So the idea is when data changes in there and they send you a webhook with all the details and then you're supposed to, you know, record the details locally and do whatever you need to do on your app. But I hadn't done that yet. So I was just like cron job to download all the invoices every day. And uh, that wasn't such a big deal until a couple of things happened. One, I was growing in subscribers and the people who had subscribed kept subscribing. So the invoice number just kept growing. And the other thing is, is I switched from rescue to sidekick when sidekick uh, uses celluloid and, and Ruby quote-unquote threads to do work in parallel. And so instead of doing one job at a time with one worker, I was doing 20 at a time. And so it was like shotgun blasts against their API. And I showed up on their radar uh, and they were like, hey, could you please stop doing that? (laughs) And then they're like, there's a better way of getting your invoices in sync. And so I was like, oh, okay, you know, it's been on my list. I'm going to do that. And he's like, okay, cool. Well, I'll send you a t-shirt for your trouble. So that's how I have a Stripe t-shirt. I was uh, abusing their API. Okay, step one, nice. abuse API. Yes. Step two, fix it. Step three, t-shirt. Got it. Yes. Well, wow, that cool. sounds a whole lot easier than I thought it'd be. Yeah, no, their support has always been super good. I, I'm a big fan of Stripe. And, you know, I, I have a lot of people sort of asking me for PayPal support. And I keep saying, no, 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 it'll complicate everything. And I don't really want to support PayPal. But, you know, people tell me that, you know, in Europe, it's far less common for people to, especially students, to have credit cards. There may be people who actually can't sign up, which is unfortunate. And I wish I could support PayPal without adding just gobs of code to my website to handle it, right? Because it's probably not worth it if it's only going to be like 10 or 20 customers. So two two things to add onto that. I have gotten some pushback from uh, folks in Europe, uh, especially for small transactions. I've heard from some people, like I run the TweetMarker API for timeline position syncing and I have this optional like $1 a month subscription, you know, just kind of a simple small thing, which is fine for most people. But I have heard from some people that their bank charges them so much for such a small transaction that it just doesn't make any sense. So they want like a yearly bigger, uh, you know, $10 a year or whatever, instead of a dollar a month, whereas PayPal or something wouldn't have that problem. But the other thing is I'm in the process of now I strongly (laughs) discourage you from doing PayPal. I mean, I have to assume it's sounds like Maybe a lot of people are asking for it, but there's so many hassles with it. I am in the process of just moving everybody away from PayPal. So I'm even at the point where I'm going to make the transition as painless as possible. But if someone doesn't want to transition like by the end of the year, I'm just going to turn off that stuff because it's really holding back being able to build features into the app for managing your account. So like what I said before, you know, switching between different plans, canceling, anytime you have to look up payment information you have completely different code paths. It's just a hassle. And the Stripe API is just so much better than anything else that if I could, let's say over the next six months, transition all the PayPal people to Stripe, and if some people don't want to come along for the ride, you know, that's okay. It would drastically simplify the back end and allow me to build things a lot more quickly. So 
Huh. That's where I'm coming from. Can I add like a fact page and say, why don't you support PayPal? And then I'll just say, because Manton said. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, every app's different, but it, it's, uh, you know, I think Mark Arman has written about this too. I mean, it, PayPal is for subscriptions is a big problem. It's been years and years where they haven't made it better. He made a um, comment, uh, last time I, I heard him talk about this, I think he was making a comment about how there's no way to actually get a list of all your customers. That's right. Which yeah. is so weird. Like you, you have to deal with the callbacks and there's no definitive source of information you can go call and ask about. That's right. So you can go to the website and you can kind of page through customers and like copy data out, but there's no, <laughs> it's, it's seriously, there's no way to automate it. There's no way to just get like a export uh, easily. I mean, you can export sort of raw kind of data, but like in terms of subscription uh, subscribers and whatnot, it's very, very painful to do. Yeah, I know that I've been able to download a CSV of a list of people, but yeah. And and even that's not super well formatted. It is kind of backward. And I think you can get a list of all of your subscribers for everything, but I don't think you can filter it by the different products you're selling. Yeah, I mean, yeah maybe ultimately like you're going to want to have that locally, right? Your system of yeah. records should be you, especially if you have multiple payment providers. But, you know, like going through my app, there's just a lot of stuff that just kind of assumes that people have Stripe subscriptions, which made it actually really hard for me to just give somebody a subscription because like everybody signing up had to be like a had to have an associating Stripe account. So I ended up, you know, coming up with the concept of a team. So that way I can have like a company pay for the subscription and have other people be part of the team. So there's already a sort of a, you know, I can point to lots of areas in the code where it's kind of muddy, where it's like, well, is this user a Stripe customer or is this person part of a team? And I would have to add a third, or is this person, you know, a PayPal subscriber? And I'm already sort of having to do that when I'm, when I do in-app purchases, I'm going to have to have that notion of like, what type of subscription does this person have? So I don't know. It's, you know, I try to avoid as much code complexity for the sake of not introducing bugs in the future and things like that. And actually focusing on my time on creating content, not managing a subscription system on the web, especially, you know, I don't know how many people would actually want to subscribe on PayPal. So it's, it's hard to know whether it'd be even worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Are there any other things that we should talk about here with uh, subscription models or revenue sources before we move along? Um, I think that covers the basics. I think, like I said before, it just depends on the app. I think if you can pick kind of one road to travel down, whether it's in-app purchase or Stripe, uh, and kind of keep things simple, I think that makes your job easier. I mean, promise of subscriptions, I think, is really great. You know, getting the recurring revenue every month where you can kind of predict how things are going. You can build kind of a sustainable business, hopefully. But it's really hard. I mean, there's tons of people have tried this. It's, I mean, it's not kind of guaranteed success. And I was just thinking the other day about Everpix, which uh, shut down recently. And that was a subscription service that everyone loved. The app was good. The service was great. It was unique. And they still couldn't quite make it work. So it's hard, but I think there's a lot to this idea. And if you have a good fit in your app and you can go down this path, I mean, it could be great. Yep. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and do the picks then. Jane, do you want to start us off this week? Sure, I've got one pick, and early in this year, Eric S. Raymond dropped a blog post or an article called Lost Art of C Structure Packing. It's kind of a technique for understanding how memory management for their structs, and this was my world in the 90s when I started out. I wish I had this back then, but it's actually a very good read, and we're getting to a world where there's a lot more memory-constrained devices, you know, Internet of Things, that type of thing, so it's maybe not... That useful for your bread and butter iOS apps, but it was actually a really cool article if you want to know how kind of C handles things. So there it is. Cool. Ben, what are your picks? 
Uh, I have a handful of picks today. I've been trying to play uh, more games lately. And Torchlight 2 went on sale over the weekend. And I actually already had a copy, but I bought a second copy for my son so we could play together. The reason I don't play this game much is because it's for Windows. And I don't know, I'm just always on a Mac. Turns out it actually works totally fine in a VMware Fusion VM. So I've been playing Torchlight 2 a bit. uh, So that's fun on Steam. Also, I've been playing StarCraft 2 a lot. And if you're a StarCraft 2 player, you should be checking out sc2casts.com for just watching the pros and trying to get uh, an idea of strategies that might work. And anyway, that's a lot of fun. Another one is a gem. Yesterday, I was sitting down to say, dang it, I'm going to solve this problem and write a gem. And it turns out somebody wrote the gem already. And it's exactly like exactly what I would have written, which is so awesome. Uh, the gem is called After Party. And the idea is it's kind of like database migrations, but for like post-deployment tasks. So like in this particular case, I need to resize a bunch of images because we have new image sizes for our mobile apps. And I need to do that as soon as we deploy. And it's kind of a pain to have to remember to run some specific random rake task after deployment. So after party, you define a bunch of rake tasks very similar to migrations. And then in Capistrano, you just say after deploy, run after party, and it will keep track of which ones it's run already. One other pick today is a YouTube user called The Benny Box. He's got a bunch of tutorials on how to create uh, Wolfenstein 3D from scratch, uh, which has been pretty fascinating. I find his sort of tone really obnoxious, but if you can get through the tone of how he presents the content, uh, it's actually really, really good content. And then my last two picks are the ASCII WWDC links for the two uh, store kit presentations at WWDC this year, sessions 305 and 308, which would be relevant to today's discussion. So I will post all of those in the show notes. Awesome. All right, Pete, what are your picks? My first pick which actually I wanted to ask about during the show, whether this is relevant, hopefully it will be, fingers crossed for me, is the two free technical support instance that you get from Apple for every year of your subscription. So I think we've talked about this in the show before, but don't forget that I didn't know that I even had these, but twice a year you can use a technical support instance and ask Apple for help. I am guessing maybe you could use these to ask Apple whether you could really submit something via subscription to use a subscription API. Maybe I'm wrong. No one's interrupting me, so I'm going to assume I'm right. They might refer you back to the App Store review people. Oh, okay. It's kind of a separate department. But yeah, that's actually two incidents per developer program. So if you have a Mac and an iOS developer program, you get four. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, well, I'm going to pick it anyway, because why not? I've already picked it. My second pick is a, a double pick for the Bay Areans that may listen to the show. Pick number one is the casual carpool. If you don't know what that is, then Google for casual carpool. Pick number two is or second half of that pick is the Bay Area Bike Share. So this is like a kind of a zip car, but for bikes, I guess. And it's run by the city in San Francisco and a few other places in the Bay Area. $80 a year, and you can pick up a bike whenever you want from loads of places around the city and ride to somewhere else in the city and drop it off, and it's free. I mean, you pay $80 a year, but then you can use it as much as you want throughout the year for any trip of 30 minutes or less. I've been using these two together to do a lot of my commuting, which is awesome because it's free and I get to... Kind of get a little bit of exercise. And I just noticed today that they publish all of their data. So I think this is really cool. You can go to a bit of their website and download all of the kind of the data of who's using bikes when and what their ridership is, which if you're looking for like a, an interesting kind of side project to do with big data, then that might be interesting to you. Uh, and then my last pick is a beer pick. I'm going to pick Lucky 13 from Loganitas. 
It's actually like a seasonal beer that's not available until May, according to their website. But this is something for you to kind of prepare, get ready for yourself. Uh, it's like <laughs> a, <laughs> it's a typical kind of Lagunitas beer. So it's pretty high alcohol. It's uh, pretty malty, pretty hoppy. And according to their website, it is 8.9%. So be careful. But it's very, very yummy. It's actually one of my favorite Lagunitas beers. So lucky 13. Awesome. Andrew, what are your picks? got two picks today. So the first one is from Mike Ash's blog. It's a Friday Q&A post. And I, I know I pick these and talk about them a lot, but I really like them. And this was a good one. So he did a post called Let's Break Cocoa. And this is just a blog post about some mostly things that you're not actually going to you know, have cause problems in your app because you have to go out of your way to do most of these things, but just strange ways that you can break the, the Cocoa APIs. And I thought it was kind of fun to read and, and also interesting because there were things in there that I hadn't thought of or didn't know about before. And then my second pick is a new Objective-C style guide that raywenderlich.com published. And, you know, I don't know how useful these style guides are because a lot of the, a lot of it is subjective, but for a single organization, I think it's important to have a consistent style and their style guide is quite thorough and I, I think they made good choices. So I thought it was at least an interesting read to think about and maybe learn some reasons for certain style choices. And those are my picks. Awesome. All right, I've got a couple of picks. One is is if you ever have to do a lorem ipsum in your uh, project, I think lorem ipsum is kind of boring. So uh, instead, the one that I like to use is bacon ipsum. So if you go to baconipsum.com, it'll generate bacon ipsum. And uh, I'll just read you part of the first paragraph. It's bacon ipsum dolor seat amit fat back drumstick pork belly short loin pastrami. Anyway, and it just goes on with a whole bunch of meat terms. So. It's a lot of fun, and yeah, so then somebody can smile before they go in and actually put real copy in. So anyway, that's uh, that's one pick. And the other pick I have is my friend David Brady is writing an ebook on how to find a job, and it's really the job hunting guide, and it talks about some of the issues that you know you have finding a job and things like that. And it's pretty good. He has two posts, and I'll uh, post both of those here. The most recent one he posted yesterday, it's the Job Hunting Mindset. And the one before it is the Job Replacement Guide. And he just talks about his story and why why he feels like he has to write this book. And they're both just terrific. So uh, go read them, even if you're uh, not looking for a job at the moment, because they really are just terrific blog posts. So those are my picks. Manton, do you want to you give us your picks? I'm sorry, I'm just having a, a day today. Sure. Uh, so the first pick, something we already talked about a bunch on the show, but I'm going to pick the Stripe API. Really like it and hope that uh, folks can uh, check it out if you've been thinking about doing any server, uh, you know, credit card stuff, managing this kind of stuff for subscriptions. It's just really well done. The second is also kind of related to this. I'm going to pick the Helios project from Matt Thompson, which is kind of this just nice collection of backend stuff for either in-app purchase or push notifications or whatnot. And I was using this just a couple weeks ago. I was working on some push notification support in my new app, and I found it really handy. He's got all sorts of code, of course. But in this particular case, there's just a lot of really nice stuff for, like I said, dealing with push notifications on the server and then, a, you know, sort of a complement of Objective-C stuff on the client side. So that's uh, Helios. And that's it. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate you sharing your expertise. And hopefully people have an idea of what they can do if they want to uh, provide subscriptions or subscription support to their users. Cool. Thanks for having me.